It was about two weeks ago on annual meeting Sunday, that we only had a single service, and I preached on the idea of covenant. In particular, on that Sunday, on the covenant of hospitality and welcome, an open door. And I said, it, I hope it has something to do with the future of our congregation and future both conversations and perhaps actions on our part. So if you didn't hear that sermon, you can still go on the website. And from January 26th, it's around covenant of welcome and an open heart and an open door. But today's theme is also on covenant. And it dovetails into two parts of relationships. One is, you saw already, right, at this service, we welcomed new members into our family of faith. Coming together as a family of faith is a covenant. Because a covenant is, as I said a couple of weeks ago, an agreement made between people before God and with God. But I will also reflect on the nature of relationships and covenants. It may be the relationship of marriage. It may be friendship. It may be, as someone said on the way out the door, what it means to be a nation. Because I'll draw a distinction in the sermon between covenant and contract. And so this scripture that I'm about to read is from the Apostle Paul. It is a scripture that you've probably heard many times if you've ever been to a wedding ceremony. And again, wedding ceremonies are covenants. And Paul, however, was not writing for a wedding ceremony when he wrote these words from the 13th chapter in his first letters to the church in Corinth. He was writing to us as a people. The words that you're about to hear, which are always read at weddings, are really meant for a community of faith. The Corinthians were always arguing with each other. Apparently they struggled to get along. As my New Testament professor in seminary said 35 years ago, the Corinthians would, if they had a church potluck supper, turn it into a food fight. And so Paul, Paul wrote to, this, to the churches of every generation and every century these words about what it means to love each other. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I give away all my possessions but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or rude or arrogant. It does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. May these words, which once transformed the disciples' hearts, transform our hearts. So yes, this morning I wish to continue on the theme of covenant and to reflect on how covenant plays a role in healthy relationships, in love or friendship, marriages, partnerships, being a part of a church family. And yes, as someone added after the first service, what it means to be a citizen of our nation. But I also want to, before I begin to launch into the sermon, acknowledge that some relationships are painful. Not all relationships or marriages are healthy. But a reflection on relationship and covenant does not mean that a sensitivity for singles or those who are divorced or differently shaped families, that a sensitivity is eclipsed. That said, let's consider relationships, friendships, 
partnerships, marriage, love, membership in a congregation, and how it relates to covenant and our Christian faith. It was some time ago now that I shared in the leadership of a particular wedding. That's not news to you. You can probably imagine in my 33 years of ministry, I've officiated or participated in literally hundreds and hundreds of weddings. But the other pastor was to offer the meditation in the service, and he said to the couple, the only thing you need, the only thing you, you need to remember in your relationship is to love one another. Love overcomes everything. And then quoting the Beatles and saying he quoted the Beatles, he said, love is all you need. And I thought to myself, well, I get why you say that, but I'm not really sure that's true. Is love all one needs? Well, in the wedding ceremony that day, it seemed to make sense to say that because his reflection followed those words from the Apostle Paul, where Paul wrote beautifully about love in community, saying that only love endures, but love can bear all things. It isn't irritable, resentful, or boastful. In another part of that passage, Paul mentions three of the gifts, the gift of faith, the gift of hope, and the gift of love. But he says the greatest of these is love. Well, at that wedding that I officiated, St. Paul's words were then followed, in my mind, sadly, by the reading of an original poem from the groom's cousin, which claimed that love would solve all of the world's problems. And yes, I suppose again, to a degree, that may be true. But then I knew, as time moved on, that something was missing. Something was missing from the reflection at the wedding, and what was absent is critical. It's, I mean, essential, maybe even foundational, not only to a wedding ceremony, but to relationships, marriages, friendships, time together as a life, as a church. And what was missing was God. What does God have to do with relationships? Well, it has to do with covenant. And as I said, a covenant is an agreement made between people and with God and before God. And so when I prepare, say, two people to enter into the covenant of, of marriage, prior to their wedding, when I meet with them, I like to remind them of the reality that, you know, it won't always be sweet and cheerful conversations. It just won't be. And I remind them that because what they're entering into is not a contract, but it's a covenant. And there's really important differences between a contract and a covenant. And here are some of them. A legal contract is meant to be conditional. They last only as long as the contract states. Your subscription to this magazine ends on 12-31-2020. That's a contract. But a covenant is meant to be unconditional and durable, whatever the future may hold or the covenant of joining a church, which our new members just spoke. They said before us and before God, we take this church to be our church, promising so far as in us lies to share its work, sustain its worship, love its members. It's a covenant. But another difference between contracts and covenants is that contracts 
are governed by the pursuit of one's own interests. Contracts, by very definition, are self-centered. But not a covenant. A covenant has to do with how we treat each other. A covenant has to do with how we treat each other when, say, the dishes need to be washed or the rummage needs to be sorted. A covenant has to do with how we treat each other when misunderstandings arise or when one has hurt the other. A covenant, unlike a contract, a contract being self-centered, a covenant deals with a desire for the other person's well-being. I mean, think of it this way. Say you go out to purchase a home. You enter into a contract. And if you're lucky, I mean, if you're lucky, you pay less than the house is really worth. You get a good deal. Now, if you're unlucky, you pay a little more, and maybe it's not such a great deal. And if it's completely equitable, well, maybe you lucked out and you pay exactly what the house is worth. But that's how contracts work, right? Parties negotiate in their own interest to get the best deal. But not with a covenant. In a covenant, whether it's a covenant of love, or membership, or as a citizen of a nation, to give less than you expect to receive is selfishness. To give as much as you receive might be nice and fair, but a covenant is also about the times in which you give more than you receive. And yes, over a lifetime, you hope that that balances out. But what that also means that, we'll say by a contract standards, and if you keep a ledger every day of how much you give versus how much you receive, on a given day in, in a covenant, a friendship, a marriage, church membership, it might not end up seeming like a very fair deal. But covenants are for the long haul. But something that covenants need to be durable is this. They, both, they need both tenderness and stubbornness. Here's what I mean. These words come from a Lenten devotional that we had probably 10 years or so ago, and it was about relationships. That was the theme of the devotional. And so these words are about marriage, but they do. They speak to friendship. They speak to citizenship. They speak to membership in a church. And this person wrote, the ups and downs of marriage are easier to tolerate when you have the experience to know that the good times, the the rush of love that makes your spouse seem more handsome, witty, and kind than anyone else. Those moments can and do follow the times when your spouse seems nitpicky or argumentative. Exactly. And I will tell you, those realistic words were offer, authored by my wife. I mean, the kind and witty thing, I get that. That seems natural, but the argumentative, I don't think so, I'm not. <laughs> but they witness to the reality of needing tenderness and stubbornness in a covenant that endures. Relationships of all sorts need tenderness and stubbornness. 
And I know it, most of us get the tenderness part, right? Even the poet John Milton 400 years ago claimed that the noblest purpose of marriage was sweet and cheerful conversation. But moments like that in any relationship, any sweet and cheerful conversation usually grows from some form of a ritual of tenderness. Maybe in a home it's like saying grace before a meal, kissing each other goodbye or hello, or carrying out the groceries. Rituals help make a house into a home, a relationship into a commitment, a church member into a friend. Rituals of tenderness and cheerful conversation are also the foundation of what many say might be the most lasting gift of any covenant, and that is kindness. So we get the tenderness part. But a covenant also needs perseverance. I mean, that is why when couples do get married, they get married for richer or poorer, in times of joy or sorrow, sickness and health. They're about endurance, perseverance. And Madeline Engel, once writing about her own covenant, said, our love was anything but perfect. Inevitably said, there were times when one of us has outrun the other and we've had to wait patiently for the other to catch up. There have been times we've misunderstood each other, demanded too much of each other. There were times we were insensitive to each other's needs. And I don't believe there's any relationship, any relationship for which this does not happen. I mean, it's true, whether it's a friendship, a marriage, membership in a church, the growth of love and kindness is not a straight line, but it is much more like a series of hills and valleys. I mean, like one day, your spouse, your friend, the church member you value so much seems so kind, but on another day, seems a little nitpicky. But it's the kindness that endures. And I suspect that every good and healthy relationship experiences a bit of what Madeline Langle was describing. And so when I meet with couples who are going to walk together through life, I remind them that sometimes those moments, those valleys, will seem a little like you are in the desert, a dry period. But when you arrive at the next oasis, the oasis might turn out to be far more lush and beautiful than you ever imagined. And finally, I remind those couples, and I need to remind new member classes of this as well, what a remarkable gift a healthy love and kindness can be. And gift it is. Because love, kindness, these are ways to allow God into your world. They are doorways to the divine. They are gifts because the covenant of love or church membership offers you a rare opportunity in this world. It offers you the chance to see the world through another person's eyes. And it offers you the acuity of vision to see someone else's life as being as important as yours. Love and kindness in covenant are the antidote to our selfishness. 
I do believe they are gifts. In fact, I believe they are gifts of the Spirit. Because love and kindness help us to be other-centered. And being other-centered is to begin to be a little like Christ. So you know the answer is no. Love is not all you need. Love is not all you need for a healthy relationship or friendship. You also need God. We need God to remind us that despite our imperfections, we are loved. And to know that we are loved makes it easier for you to love another. You know what I need to start telling couples and new members? It takes three for love. Three is not a crowd. It takes one to offer love, another to receive it, but it takes God to bless it. May it be so.